Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to a special edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us for this special edition of the show. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And we have a special guest host in studio as well. You know him from the streaming platform as off the cuff gaming it's our good friend returning to the show tom craven ladies and gentlemen live and direct straight from a folding chair in the odph studio it is i tom here with you guys thank you so much for having me on again thank you for coming back on and we said it's a special edition and it is absolutely 2023 is the year of the massive verse and they have a lot of very important books coming out such as the sequel to last year's big crossover event that kicked off the hottest line of comics with radiant black and Rogue Sun and the Dead Lucky, but the latest edition is about ready to hit the shelves. And if you do not have Inferno Girl Red in your pull list, this week I will be shaming you all over the place if you are a comic reader because that book needs to be in your collection. It is absolutely incredible. I could sit here and keep talking about it, but we have somebody on the line that I think can maybe talk about it a little better than I can. You know his work from such comics as Self Made from Image Comics. Ultraman from Marvel Comics, Mighty Morphin number 17 through 22 for Boom Studios, Boom. and he is the co-host of the Ranger Danger podcast. Please welcome back to the show, the one and only Matt Groom. Matt, what is going on? Thank you for coming back on. Yeah, of course. Thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I love intros like that. It's a good reminder of like, oh yeah, that's why I'm so tired. I, <laughs> I've done some stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, your work speaks for itself. Your Power Rangers run is one of my personal favorites. Uh, we'll get into Thank that you. just a little bit later because at, we're here to talk about your latest venture, which is Inferno Girl Red, which kicks off the year of the Massiverse, which fans have been so excited about since seeing her debut in the pages of Supermassive last year for Image Comics. So why don't you walk us through how did this whole Inferno Girl Red creation come to be? Yeah, I mean, it's been quite a journey. Uh, It's interesting because Radiant Black is coming up on, I think, 25 issues, which is a huge run. Uh, But Inferno Girl Red actually started life, its early sort of creative processes, about the same time. Uh, Before there was a massive verse, it was Kyle was working on a book and Ryan was working on a book and I was working on a book. And at a certain point, we were like, you know what, we could probably... uh, you know, comics, we do what we want. We could um, join these together when we wanted to, when it made sense, and create a little universe. Uh, but the process of it was difficult and lengthy. I think because with this book, I wanted to achieve a few different goals. And one of them was I wanted to make something truly accessible. Uh, I, I love comics as a medium, and I also love superheroes kind of regardless of, of medium. And I think there's a lot of superhero fans out there. And... That's not necessarily translating as much as we'd like into uh, people coming into comics. So part of this was an attempt to make something that was really accessible for people to sort of enter the world of superheroes through comics. But I think 
one of the things that can trip, pe trip people up a little bit is that comics can be a little complicated format-wise in terms of uh, the single-issue experience and, like, reboots and renumbering, all that sort of thing. And I think another thing that maybe is slightly less appreciated is there's a structural difference in terms of storytelling from what people are used to to typical single-issue comics. Because I think if you're doing single-issue comics right, you're writing stories that are whole and, and sort of compelling of themselves in single issues that then serialize together in trades. And that's a format that I love. Like I love doing that in self-made. I love doing it in my other work, but I wanted to create a novel with that novel shape where you could spend time introducing the world and the characters in the first sort of third or so without having to worry about getting to a cliffhanger for the end of the first issue. And I wanted it to have that space for scenes like towards the end of the of book one we have a big fight scene that sort of is the combination of everything that's almost 18 pages which you just couldn't justify in a in a typical single issue and my hope is that this will be a form that you can hand to somebody else who might not you know this might be their first comic or, or close to it and because it feels more like a novel or maybe even more like a movie it, it'll be much more accessible to them and that'll be their way in. And then from there, they can explore the wide world of comics. Uh, but getting the funding for that was difficult, particularly because we didn't want to give away the rights to it. Like we wanted total control because we wanted to try some different things and push things a little bit, which meant creator owned. Uh, but yeah, when doing that, it, it can be hard to find the money to pay someone like erica for her doing 100 more than 120 pages this was like a year's work so we needed to you know keep her alive and pay her rent and buy her food for that time <laughs> which is uh how we got to kickstarter and the response to kickstarter was just truly incredible uh and having people willing to support the book and bring it to life and produce a gorgeous hardcover was the only reason we're able to do it this way and it's a bit of experiment we'll see how it goes but um yeah it was quite a journey to get here and i'm very excited to finally be at this destination no absolutely i mean i think especially with trying to do a diy style and especially going through kickstarter which we're seeing a lot more creators really going through i mean when you're justifying about taking it to that route like what do you think was like a real pro and con about doing that with especially with a new project yeah i mean there's it's interesting i see doing a book through kickstarter and doing a book through image is having some interesting similarities because there's a real DIY element to it. Because um, when you're an image, because you have total control over everything, you also have responsibility for everything. You have to make choices about everything. You have to, you're choosing a, like you're choosing paper stocks. You're choosing format. You're choosing all of the design work. Like every single part of the book from start to finish is a choice that you're making, which is very different from working at a, another publisher. And it was very, very much the same Kickstarter. We had to figure out how to put a campaign together, how to promote it, how to get out there, how we were going to fulfill it, how we were going to print it, how we were going to ship it. And we, because of the delays we suffered on the project, there were some pretty major complications on that. Um, and there were even like complications upon complications, like because of those delays, the timescale stretched out by long enough that currency conversions and um, like the economy shifting meant the, what we had quoted for originally was not what we'd have to pay later down the track. Uh, so yeah, it was complicated and difficult and certainly not for the faint of heart. And one of those things where like, if you achieve a certain level of success, uh, it's very validating and rewarding and you're really grateful for it, but it, it also becomes like logistically complicated on the scale that's hard to comprehend when you're having to get 
a thousand packages out to people across the world. Um, but it it was yeah, it was just so profoundly rewarding and worth it. Seeing people's excitement, seeing fan art coming in that early and with that frequency, um, just the the supportive messages for people when we were in hard times. It's not something that you get typically when working on a comic because you're kind of removed. You're a little more behind the scenes, mm. but it, it, there's a vulnerability to it. You know, like when you make mistakes, you are uh, rightfully responsible and you have to like face everybody. But um, when you succeed, you can feel more directly that, that support and that warmth. And yeah, I, it's what if someone asked me if they should do a Kickstarter, it would be a long sort of like, maybe yeah. because the, the pros and cons on both sides are very strong, but I'm glad we did it. And I'm glad we're here. Yeah. Cause especially with the word of mouth that came out of the Kickstarter and then especially to get such a high profile debut and the pages is super massive, which I mean, we already had the mm-hmm. fan base established with radiant black. We heard about rogue sun coming out. And then obviously with Inferno go red, knowing the Kickstarter was going to be the first time we saw her, but now to bring her into the image comics. I mean, how would you describe the anticipation for that and waiting to see, okay, we're taking it from the Kickstarter fans, which know about this to more of the mainstream comic fans. Was there any kind of like just overwhelming anticipation about like what the reaction was going to be or going into Supermassive? Like what was your feelings about that? In some ways I was really grateful to Supermassive because of the nature of the project and um, how long it was taking to put together. Supermassive was a chance for us to get out there with Cassia a little early uh, and, and show the wider world a bit more like a sneak peek of this character, um, which I think I really needed, to be honest, because the nature of the book is like it's 120 pages. It's six issues, six, six typical issues worth of content. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm sure everybody in this position may say something similar, but I truly mean this. I think the art in this book is some of the best out there. Absolutely. The mm-hmm. Out there right now. Like uh, Erica and I got together as such a powerful team. And I was seeing these pages come in, in my email over this like long span of time. And like Erica's pages would blow me away. And then Igor would come in and do something that would blow me away. And then he'd be like, Oh, actually, you know what? I want to take another go with that. And he'd do something that was even better. And it would just like shatter my mind, but I couldn't share any of it because we were waiting for this big release. Uh, so in some ways, Supermassive was a chance to be like, yes, let's get her out there a little bit. Let's get some of those reactions. Let's recharge our own batteries a little bit from people going like, yeah, who's this character? She's so cool. I want to see more of her. I'm like, yes, great. Okay, let's charge ahead. Uh, so it was relieving in that way. Uh, but I think there was also that, you know, the the trade-off of people like, yeah, that's great. Uh, I want to see more. When's more? And it's like, well, a little while yet, but... When it hits, it'll be a lot. It'll be huge. So just hang in there. No, definitely. I think that was one of the biggest reactions we saw personally here. I mean, with people writing into the podcast and just interacting on social media, that there were so many people that were excited about the characters they were seeing. And this really just felt like the beginning of a vibe that, I mean, me personally, I haven't felt since Image Comics debuted in the sense of you have all these characters coming together from all these different creators they all have their own different vibe and energy. Like, that's the one thing. You don't have to go in this and it all feels cookie cutter. Like, everybody has their own unique style and direction with their characters. So to see them all get meshed together, I mean, it's kind of the easiest way I relate to it. It's when the big seven formed image and just had that shared universe under the banner. And to see it now come back 30 plus years, as it's now going to be the 31st year of image. Mm-hmm. 
it's wild to see how this is reacting, but to see the fan base just embrace it so much. I mean, how does that feel to be a part of that? Oh, it's incredible. And I think the the freedom of it is such a key part to me. And I, to be honest, it was the part that, like, it, it was the, the deal maker or deal breaker when we were talking about all of this was that we would still be independent. We'd still have our own control. Um, and... It, especially having some other experiences, it is really liberating to have no corporate mandates. Like we can make decisions that are financially irresponsible and we often do because it would be cool and we can do a cool thing. Um, and being able to, like we did the first Supermassive last year and had a blast and thought it was great. And people would ask, like, is there going to be another one? And our response was, if we feel like it, like, yeah. If it feels different and if it works for everyone, we'll do it. And if not, we won't because no one's forcing us to. And we are doing it, another one this year, but only because we arrived at something we found really interesting that served the collective stories without being a sort of like, you know, you're going to be missing out terribly if you don't read it. And it's going to be radically different again from the first one. Like there's elements of it that people start to gleam once we get the solicitation of it that it's just it's nothing like the first one and you, you there's no way you can know what to expect and that's the excitement of it for me you know because the, i think there's a few things that unites us one of it is that we all have either worked on or, or are currently working on parents comics mm-hmm. um but <laughs> the bigger one i think is that we're all really determined to push superhero comics forward and we're really hungry to do interesting things and because we are all sort of like independent and able to do that we can do that in our own ways and like you know really stretch our legs and go crazy which means that when these things come together you've got these like totally different totally strange elements that are then mashed together and then what comes from that is even more interesting um so yeah i'm i'm really glad and uh appreciative to be a part of this and you know as much as the books were coming together at about the same time. Obviously, Kyle was first out of the gates, and I think he really set the standard for, let's take big swings, let's try and push the medium forward, let's make sure that we keep people guessing. We never want people to know what's around the corner. Uh, We never want people to feel like they could infer what's going to happen based on the history of comics. And, yeah, that's the the legacy we try and maintain. No, I think you guys are definitely doing that, especially with how creative everybody on that whole team goes with their books. Like we saw with Radiant Black and what Kyle did with the QR code for the animated short. And then you take a look at what Ryan did with Rogue Son and the Choose Your Own Adventure style book. And just, that, yeah. oh my God, yeah, that was just such a wild idea for an issue. And it works. And it, it just really, yeah. and it falls right in line with the story and how you touched upon too about bringing the superhero element back to comics and making... Yeah. Not that they ever were not cool, but to really give just a, a fresh take on the superhero format. I think what you guys are doing over with the Supermassive Universe, it's doing it. And especially now you're seeing just so many fans are now gravitating towards that. And they're kind of getting more into the this new generation of superheroes. I mean, to be a part of that has just got to be so incredible. It, it is. It's a real privilege. And it's been very... Uh gratifying and makes us feel like we're on the right path that such a community has sprung up around it and that people respond to it in the way that we do even particular parts of it like 
we were all very passionate about design being a big part of the books, uh, that they would look different in terms of like their logos and their mastheads and the interior pages that are designed, that that part felt like we were pushing that as hard as every other element of the book. And we wanted to make sure that when we're working with like varying cover artists, that we were trying to seek out new talent and really exciting voices and perspectives and ha and with styles that don't just feel like, you know, a house style. And those are elements that people have gone like, yeah, th this is part of what's making it feel so refreshing. And it just helps us feel like, you know, we're on the right track, we're on to something here. And if we keep building this, then there'll be an audience for it because people are hungry for, for those sorts of stories and that sort of approach. Now, because you're taking all your toys and putting them all in one big old sandbox, you know, the Massiverse, does it have a secret Bible that things you try to avoid or it's like, screw, we're just going to play with all of it? <laughs> I mean, we have uh, a man in Michael Basudel who's uh, an editor across all of the books and holds it all in his head somehow. So there's no, actual, there's no documentation, but we're all aware of what we're doing. Um, and we've also like gone to great lengths to carve out space and freedom enough for us to operate. So uh, for the other books, Dead Lucky, Radiant Black, Rogue Sun, they're all set specifically in different cities in America that are quite far away from each other so that they can have their own realms to play in in ways that won't be too disruptive mm. to what's going on elsewhere. And then in my case, Inferno Girl Red is actually in an entirely other universe uh, for a few different reasons, some of which will be revealed over time but part of it is just there are some like natural laws to the universe in inferno girl red that would have implications uh for the other universe if that were true so it was easier to have her in her own pocket but able to move and have motivation to move when she needs to from one to the other so that uh, she can be part of things now did you get that idea from working on previous stories or other books uh, specifically like you from Ultraman and Power Rangers and everything that you've worked on that you wanted to take Inferno Girl Red outside of the universe? Like, what have you learned the pros and cons from other series that you wanted to bring into the Massiverse? Yeah, I'm not sure if, like, specifically that element has come from anything. I don't think that was more just a, a natural fallout of a few of our aims, but I think something that both Kyle and I learned when we were working on Ultraman was the value of creating a universe whole cloth because in our Ultraman reboot, it is its own own universe with its own history. And the history part was particularly important. I think we realized quite quickly that when you are creating a new universe, it's very important to create a history before the events of the books because that's what's going to inform the actions of the characters and the events of the world and the forces that are at play. And the more you build that up, the more it feels authentic and it stops it feeling like the universe popped into existence on the page before page one. Um, and I think this will, you know, as Carl moves forward, you'll see a bit of this. And I think you see quite quickly in Inferno Go Red, this sense that things have been rolling for a long time now and the things that have happened in the past will only continue to influence the future. And that's something that in some ways you can really only do when you are creating your own universe in that moment because you don't have to deal with all of the baggage of what's come before. Uh, the past is just as fresh territory as the future in some ways. That's very interesting. Now, with that said, 
can you break down the character of Inferno Girl Red for us and like what we should be expecting coming out of issue one here? Yeah, absolutely. So Inferno Girl Red is about a teenage girl named Cassia Costa. And Cassia and her mom have bounced from city to city because something happened very early in Cassia's life to Cassia's mom that meant that Cassia's mom became something of an outcast and had trouble holding down a job uh, and sort of building a stable life. So Cassia's life hasn't ever been stable or fortunate in a lot of ways, but she gets an invitation to a new school, a very prestigious and uh, advanced school in a very cool place called Apex City. And Apex City is kind of on the the pinnacle of progress. Like they're trying things in terms of community building and sustainability and city design that's ahead of the curve. And it's a very optimistic place. And she sees this as like finally her chance to, you know, have a, a, a life that's meaningful and filled with opportunity. Uh, but very soon after she gets there, the entire city is ripped out of existence and then cast into darkness. So it looks like that one shot that she had was going to be obliterated just like everything else. But she gets a chance to change that when a magical bracelet flies into her life and gives her the the ability to become Inferno Go Red. But it is it comes with some caveats and some challenges that she'll have to face. Uh, and it ties into her own history and the history of the city and the history of this world in ways that she won't fully understand for some time now i so noticed kind of the, the setup oh yeah so i noticed with the uh, i don't know if we're going to transformation sequence because we don't want to steal terms from other you know franchises <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. uh, i noticed with the transformation sequence is um i'm just gonna throw this out here was lost galaxy one of your favorite series because that's very close Ah, uh, i mean i I'm not sure I'd call Lost Galaxy one of my favorites, but this stuff that I enjoyed about all of them. Because I was going to say, um, the, the whole design of her when she transforms looked very close to almost the Lost Galaxy uh, morphing sequence. Yeah, well, when Eric and I were designing that, and a few different elements, actually, we went through a bunch of um, Power Rangers stuff, but also Super Sentai, which it's adapted from. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways... Uh, it might even draw a bit more inspiration from Kamen Rider and the, the henshin sequences in that. Um, and it's just like, it's so filled with powerful iconography and energy. Uh, so I think there's just like dozens and dozens and dozens of variations of things that inspired us. And even things like, like Sailor Moon uh, all got mixed in and uh, was part of the, the import that created... Uh, some of the influences for this. Yeah, there were a few henshins in Common Rider that use a uh, wrist bracer. So now that you think about it, I'm going back to like Common Rider Ryuki. Um, one of the secondary riders had that uh, harp on his wrist. Absolutely. There's also a, uh, I don't know if I want to say specifically so you can let people have the moment, but there's like a, uh, perhaps a non-diegetic element to Common Rider henshins that we drew some pre-direct inspiration from that you'll see in the book. I got to go back and read it a third time. <laughs> yeah. but no there's so much elements going on with this book too and especially the one thing i took away from it from issue one is just how much that it's the challenge of cassia trying to find hope in the hopelessness and especially like Absolutely. she's had so much of a challenge with everything that's gone on with her mom that now she has this opportunity and just kind of weighs so much on her own shoulders and then trying to find her emergence as being her own hero even though it's it's, yeah. it's she's very reluctant in issue one to do this with 
and especially kind of getting thrown into the mix too. It's just kind of an element of just like with her path coming on here, being such a young hero, just setting forth a new formula for the you know readers to jump on board with. Do you think there was like any challenges about, okay, I want to try doing something completely different with this hero that we haven't done before, or just, you know, we're just going to kind of let her just element, the element of hope just really be her driving force? Yeah, I mean, I think that to me, the the path to making something different from what's come before is to make it modern. Hmm. And a modern story about teenage superheroes can be very different to ones in the past because teenagers are different today and their world is different. And this book is very much a... Um, uh, it only has the slightest of fantastic lenses on the situation of teenagers at the moment. And we wanted to make a book about how the world is in a really bad way right now and older generations are largely responsible for that and we keep saying things like, oh, like the younger generation, they're so smart and they're so clever and they're going to figure it out, uh, which is a really like terrible thing to do yeah. to young people. You know, to put all of this responsibility on them, especially after like actually it's other generations who, are, who should bear responsibility and be like, yeah, we know things are terrible, but you'll figure it out. Uh, so in some ways, this book is about how you try and find that belief and hope to do the incredible when things seem hopelessness and, and what that belief takes and also what it costs. And, and we'll, this will come a little bit later in other books, but like, what are the dangers there? Because it, it is to have enough belief to do something incredible when the odds aren't in your favor, there's an element of self delusion to it, right? Like you have mm -hmm. to believe something that's not likely, but then we've also seen, uh, especially lately, what self-delusion can do in a negative way uh, and how you can totally lose touch with reality and how that can be just as dangerous, if not more. Uh, so it, we're asking, especially the younger generations, to walk this incredibly precarious tightrope of, like, believe in the impossible, but don't believe the wrong things. Uh, and if you do that, then you can be the ones who will save the world. And, yeah, to whatever extent it feels authentic and new, I hope and I expect that it comes from the fact that it is a response to the moment in some ways. No, I, I think it definitely comes across that way. I think it's just it's it's a very modern tale in the sense that you just see how she's handling the pressures of the world and especially the pressure of trying to, you know, make a better future for her and her mom with everything they've gone through. And just on top of now yeah. becoming a, a superhero and a trial by fire, literally, mm -hmm. of what is going on that, I mean, she's just really doesn't have a time to take a breath. And it's just a matter mm -hmm. of like finding her goals in comparison to like what her mom really wants, because within the beginning of the issue too, you see the flashback sequence when they're on the monorail and you see how that is the original introduction of Inferno Girl Red and how her mom kind of has that connection. And now it's coming home to Cassia and now how she yeah. has to deal with it. And especially with her being so skeptical at the beginning that now all of a sudden it's like, wait, that's me. Like, what do I do mm -hmm. now? Like it just makes for some very fascinating storytelling, especially like as the as we got two more issues coming out, two more books coming out, I should say. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm gl glad you think so. Uh, yeah, it was important to me that the relationship between Cassie and her mom is a is a really core cool part of the book, and uh, I wanted to have a different approach to that, that so that don't that didn't feel 
well-trodden either. And having them have a, a great relationship and a very supportive one and having her mom have, in some ways, like all of the belief that Cassia doesn't, in a lot of ways is a good thing mm-hmm. uh, and is empowering, but it also can create problems as well. And we're, yeah, we'll see that there's, there's a microcosm too of Cassia's mom saying to Cassia, like, you know, I believe in you, you've got all this potential, you go and do this incredible thing when a lot, some of the responsibility and, and a lot of the history is tied to her mom. And mm-hmm. a lot of the effects of what are happening now are, are generations like coming down to bear on this one person. And in some ways it is kind of unfair what's being asked of Cassia, both by her mom and, and of the city in general. Yeah, because especially for being such a young hero at that age and getting literally thrown into it to try figuring out what has gone on and the event that has now happened, it's really a challenge for her to grow in her role. And then, like I say, we have not seen her really like have this year one moment, so to speak. But as you see, when as the issue progresses too, when she has to kind of think on the fly and really adapt to the situation and she and winds up getting the resolution to the first problem she has it kind of doesn't have the effect that her mom would like to see as you see the mom has just so much hope for her and Cassia is just sitting there going like, wait a sec, like what just happened? Yeah. Yes, very much. And I think that's going to be a continuing element of the book is like, yes, it's incredible to have these opportunities and these chance to make a difference, but it's all also happening at a time when, you know, teenagers should be should have the time and the space to discover themselves. And I think, it, you know, we hit, hinted this a little bit at the start of the book, but Cassia is in a place where she's trying to figure out, like, who she is and what she wants to be and, and what she can contribute to the world. And rather than really having time to sort of, like, seep in that and process all of that, she's immediately thrown in the fire and told, like, solve these problems quickly. Um, and what that does to a person is, yeah, going to be an element in the book moving forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for being a, an oversized first book, I got to remember not to say issue. It's a book because obviously it's broken down in the format, which it is, which I think plays out very, very well, too, because, it, it, yeah, it, it just feels like that, that was just such an organic way to end that first issue, too. And now we have the two more books coming out in February and March. And then after that, is there any plans that we can talk about uh, for the future of Inferno Girl Red? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I can say that I am working on more in terms of writing, um, but that's not an announcement of more because we don't know if we'll be able to do more at this point. Um, as with anything, it really comes down to reception and, and how it's received and that sort of thing. And we're not sure how we'll proceed in terms of like formats, like whether we go back to Kickstarter, um, what other approaches we might take. We'll, we want to find a way that's feasible and can support everybody. Uh, but we're just, we're so, so passionate about these worlds and these characters. And I think I, I already had a little bit of this experience working on self-made about the, how fulfilling it is to work on creator and projects. But uh, for Erica and, and I go, this is the first time. And I can see in them that excitement. And I can also see what it brings out of them and how much they have leveled up because of the freedom and the inspiration this is afforded to them. And I think it would be a real shame if we didn't uh, continue on that path and see how much more of that um, we can get out of them. So, yeah, we want to do more, I guess. 
and we hope to is is the the short answer i can tell you without a doubt with all the spin and buzz that's been going around on the internet inferno girl red is going to catch on pun intended like wildfire oh yeah thank you Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I just want to stress, too, because I was listening to our friends over at Talking Smack to Josh and Marty when they were interviewed. There is no official word for number two. It's just there's no clickbait to be had here. It's just hopefully this comes through. And obviously with the buzz that's going around, I can't see how the fans don't gravitate towards this because the book is just filled with so much energy and especially vibrant art that, you know, Erica Durso does with this and Igor Monte and Becca Carey and, you know, your whole team involved with this, Michael Basiddle. There is just so much win with this book, too, and especially for being a, a superhero book, too, coming out of the gate, it's really catching a buzz that you don't see that often with comics, mm-hmm. you know, with new issues. It's kind of like, OK, you got a new hero coming out, but especially being in the profile it's in with the Massiverse, with every the, all the success that's been going on there, and especially with everything poised for this year, too, with the No One series and the Supermassive 2 coming out. There's a lot of eyes on this universe, and especially you're kicking everything off with this, with the brand new character just really coming in and saying, if you're not on board now, this is the best way to get on board because you have a brand new hero to get behind and really kind of invest your time and energy with. And trust me, you're going to get your 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 money's worth with this book. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, taking myself out of the equation, I think given how amazing the art is and how well put together this book is i'm not worried about reception of people who read it i think anyone who reads it is going to get something out of it um it's just about awareness it's just about getting out there and and encouraging people to give it a try because i I do believe that if people give it a try then they're they're going to be into it absolutely now when since you're writing and there's so much pressure on you right now what are some of the things you like to do to unwind um i i've heard through the grapevine, you like going out and getting fast food, and particularly White Castle. <laughs> well, I mean, I me getting White Castle was uh, a first time experience last year. I had never before had White Castle in my life, and do not have the opportunity to do so again because I live in Australia and we <laughs> don't have that. Um, but we had a, a great time going to White Castle. Uh, everyone we went to sort of t- talked it down, but the, like I'm a, a vegetarian, and having access to cheap, tasty vegetarian burgers was a real uh, joy for me. So I love White Castle. Oh, I could imagine. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's actually, courtesy of uh, Missy, a... by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that was a fun trip. Um, anytime the Matthew Burst writers get together, it's a good time. But. The White Castle in particular seems to bring the best out of everybody. Um, <laughs> well, there's your next sponsor. Until, uh, yeah, I mean, there we go, right? <laughs> I, I guess I would feel a little weird about that personally because of my, my you know, food-related beliefs, but I'm sure we can make something work. Um, but yeah, besides that, I actually I left my day job a couple of weeks ago to focus on comics. Uh, and before that, I was working like seven days a week basically didn't have a lot of time for hobbies and it was not healthy, but I don't have that now and can take a little bit of time for myself. So I've discovered Gunpla recently, like making Gundam yes. models. Oh, nice. And I am like ultimate novice, like real rookie, but there's just something so relaxing and satisfying about making something with your hands and then having the end product of that be a cool robot. 
Um, so that's my, I don't know how long it'll last, but that's my thing at the moment to unwind and relax. So what do you have a uh, going cart with, um, oh crud, what the heck is it? CS toys right now that, you know, you just keep on ordering from them or even from uh, Marcus over on his site. And why can't I remember the name right now? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I've been getting them from a, an Australian. It's called Hobby Co, which is our like local yep. hobby store. But I, you know, it, it's always difficult to get stuff to this side of the planet cheaply. But I'm investigating all options for how to do it, and I definitely have my eye on like what's coming and what's out there because there's, there's so much. There's thousands and thousands of models, and they all look cool. So um, yeah, that, that'll be all the great challenges of 2023 for me. Is, trying to not spend all my money on, on guns. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely an understandable challenge. Tokulectables, that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking of. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I was sitting there trying to think too. I'm just like, I'm blanking on that as well. Mm-hmm. Now that said, is there any other, like comic-wise, we should be keeping an eye out for? Or, like any returns to Ultraman we should be focusing in on? Anything that we can kind of hear about? Or Yeah, well, uh, the next miniseries in Kyle and I's Grand Ultraman Saga will be out sometime this year we expect and it will be an ultraman marvel crossover Ooh, uh, jinx yeah. yes which we are pretty excited about it'll be my first time getting to write a certain spider-man oh that's awesome which, does he come with leopardon does he come with leopardon uh, you know i can't say i can't talk about that stuff we'll have to wait and see <sighs> <sighs> Almost, Tom. Mm. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> we have video on this side, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think people could extrapolate out from Ultran bumping into Marvel that there will be some fun to be had there, especially given both Kyle and I having a foot in both worlds kind of naturally. So there's that. Uh, and then I have another big thing that I can't talk about yet, but it will be the biggest and strangest and most ambitious thing I've ever done in comics. Really? Um, bigger than this? Bigger than Inferno Girl? Yeah, yeah, in its own way. In a particular, like, format-wise and, and how it's come together and what it is. Uh, it'll be... It's it's a bigger challenge than it... But it'll also be a one-off. Whereas Inferno Girl Red is, like, a big... Uh, like, you know, it's a, our plan is for it to be, like, a long-running legacy thing for us. So... You know, it, different, but uh, complicated, and I think like something that nobody has seen before. I'm definitely intrigued by this. Mm-hmm. Get on your Twitter feeds, ladies and gentlemen. Follow. Make sure. Yes, <laughs> we have we have his Twitter in the liner notes. So if you need to follow Matt, and you should be following him, you can definitely link on with that. One question I have is now: obviously, Inferno Girl Red has crossed over into the massive verse, obviously from her own world. If you could pick and choose a perfect crossover to do with a Marvel or DC character or, or a character that you haven't got a chance to work with, who would you choose for Inferno Girl Red and why? Wow. And I'm going to top that off with I a actually... villain as well. A villain as well. Man, that is tough. I feel like Cassia and Miles would have a fun dynamic. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. I I think they're both young people who have had a lot of responsibility thrust upon them. They've both moved between universes. They're both legacy heroes. Um, 
Yeah, I feel like they would get along really well. And in terms of villains, you know, I think there would be some interesting thematic similarities with someone like The Hood. Mm. Uh, in terms of, like, deals with the devil and, like, contrasting a hero trying to, rem like, retain their resilient belief with someone who is, like, been tempted by darkness. So, yeah, I think that would be a small-scale crossover, but in some ways I think that that might be cooler is a, yeah, Inferno Go Red, Miles Morales, Spider-Man team up against the Hood would be, I think, where my head would be. I well, need this. This is a first guy reaction. I'm, I'm all sold on this one. I'm in. Take my money. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely in about this one. And then... <laughs> And then when you're when you're writing Inferno Girl Red, like, do you have a certain playlist or certain artists you go to, like, to kind of get mm -hmm. like in the mind frame for it? Yeah, I mean, I, well, two actually. Eric actually put together a playlist that she uses when she's drawing. Yep, you can find it um, on her uh, Instagram page. She's got a link tree to it. Oh, nice. Absolutely. So that that's great. Um, there is some stuff with lyrics in there though, and I find when I'm writing. I have trouble with music with lyrics because it's just something, the wires cross in my head and I get words jumbled. Um, so I end up listening to a lot of soundtrack stuff. And I... Oh God, I'm going to forget her name. Uh, the, a lady who did the score for Loki, uh, Natalie something. Oh, I feel terrible. Uh, but her music is amazing. Um, there's a composer who's done soundtracks for she did i think the most recent assassin's creed and um, Nat natalie holt natalie holt is the first one yes thank you natalie holt and sarah mm, oh wow bad day for names uh yeah she did the most recent assassin's creed and also anthem did the soundtracks for and i think they both have styles of music that are like incredibly compelling but also feel progressive and interesting and experimental in the way that I think Inferno Go Red is or like I want it to be. So I feel like those two really fit. So I listen to uh, those two a lot while I'm writing. And then I think I just, I'm a big fan of Bam Curry and I listen to all of his stuff all of the time. So you're talking yeah, about Sarah Shackner. Like, Sarah Shackner. Thank you, Sarah Shackner. Oh, saving, saving me here big time. Thank Internet. You. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So that being said, is there any final words that you want to impose on the listening audience? If they're not sold on getting Infernal Girl Red by now, I don't know what else we can really say, but let's give that final pitch. Why should they be down first thing in the mornings at their local comic shops this week to go get this book? When we sat down to create this book, we wanted to create something that felt like what superheroes, what superhero comics might be in like 10 years if everything went right and everything was really pushing forward. So this is our attempt at doing superhero comics brand new and refreshing and exhilarating. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to come out and say it. I'm really proud of the book. I think to some extent we succeeded. And I think if you pick this up, it's going to feel unlike any other superhero book on the stands. I genuinely think it has some of the best art, if not the best art in superhero comics at the moment. 
and I think you're going to ha like go on a wild ride that will be yeah, unlike anything else. So if you like Tokusatsu superheroes like Power Rangers, Kamen Rider, or if you like superheroes in general, if you like like boarding school style fiction about people coming of age in like school environments, I think you'll love it. And if you love bold action and you love anime, I think you'll you'll love it as well. So I think we've got something for everyone, and I think you'll be excited. And let me end this on this note. There's a tweet that Kyle Higgins put out, and I think this is absolutely 1,000% facts. Quote, hey, comic writers talk. If Marvel and DC editors aren't falling over themselves trying to hire Matt Groom after they've seen what he's built in Inferno Girl Red, there is seriously something amiss. You want smart world building with scope, fantastic characters, and emotional punch? You all really do not want to be late on this for real. End quote. I stand by that 1,000%. Indeed. This book is absolutely incredible. If you are not getting this at your local comic shops, you better be on the way to go get this when you hear this episode. Make sure it's in your pull list. You don't want to miss this issue. Seriously, you want to talk about a book that is going to be talked about all over the place? This is the book. There is so much win about this from the incredible art. The story is amazing. Everything that is going to be building with the Massiverse kicks off with Inferno Girl Red this year. That is how important this book is. That is why I you can hear the sound of my voice, and I get so amped up, I start messing up my words. <laughs> that is how much I fully believe in this book. It does happen, so trust me, when you hear the intro, it's kind of like a little off. I get super excited talking about this because I have been trying not to say any spoilers because I want fans to have that same reaction I had when I opened this up, and I went, holy crap, Like this is something special. And that's why I'm stressing to everybody this week, when you go to your local comic shops this week, make sure you don't leave without a copy of this in your hands. Exactly. It has such a different feel and tone for a first volume that you will be hooked by the end of it. And if it's not in your pull list, then I don't like you anymore. Yeah. We're going to be judging. Totally judging. Yes. <laughs> I've that judged. means the world to me. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. You definitely have to come back on with that special project you were alluding to. So we're definitely locking you in for that. I'd love to. I had a great time and I'm very happy to come back. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Tom, thank you for swinging through for the episode as well. Let the people know where you're at. Thank you so much again for the ODPH for having me on here. You can find me at Off the Cuff Gaming. You'll find everything there. My uh, articles with that hashtag show. You'll see my streaming. You'll see my TikTok. You'll see all the stupid stuff I do on the internet. So come on by and enjoy. And like we said, Matt's information is in the liner notes of this podcast. So if you need to get a hold of him on Twitter, that's where you go. You need his website. You go there. If you want the quickest link to go get Infernal Go Red, we have it on there too as well by Image Comics. We can't make this any more simpler, folks. For the one only Padawan Jay who's been doing the engineering. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken. And thank you as always for listening to the special edition of the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Go buy Infernal Go Red, book one, volume one this week. We'll see you next time.